was praying uh, last week after such a great Easter service and communion service Sunday night, and, and uh, Lord, what, what am I supposed to do next? And he reminded, he brought this up in my spirit to preach out of 1 Peter chapter uh, 1 to start a series out of this. And, uh, and I think part of the reason is it's believed by theologians at this point that uh, the Apostle Paul has been uh, beheaded in Rome, if that is indeed how he died. We don't really have any record of that, but uh, that, that we know that he had passed away. Gentiles were very concerned because Paul was their major advocate, and that Peter wrote this by the Spirit to encourage the Gentile churches and those who were dispersed all over uh, that they were still part of the church, that they were an important part of what was happening in the church. And uh, if you look at verses 1 and 2, of course, you see that, that he talks about you guys are elect, you're called, you're sanctified, and he's writing to all these regions, Galatia, and places where Paul had been to. And uh, then he begins to go into chapter, verse 3, and begins to go through about dealing with adversity. You know, someone, a lot of folks have asked during this time, I'm sure you've heard, is this the end? Is, is uh, you know, is this the end of times? Um, you know, everybody's... Is, Everything's shut down, economy's having issues, we're having issues with, we can't gather in churches like we would like to. I mean, we could, but we're trying to be, you know, obedient to the civil authorities. And so, you know, what, is this the end? Are we coming to the end? Is this virus going to wipe out all of society? And uh, here's the thing, um, just a couple of things for us to think about with this, and then I'll get into this message. One, when you read the scripture, the rapture, when, when, the, when, the, when the rapture happens, there's two returns of Christ to ex- yet to experience. One, the church will experience, and that's the rapture, what's talked about as the, the, the catching away of the saints. Uh, and when that happens, Christ doesn't put foot on earth. He actually is in the clouds in heaven, and that's where the Bible says in Thessalonians, and then we'll join him and all those who've gone before us in the air. So that's the rapture. Um, The second coming of Christ is at the end of the tribulation period. And uh, so folks have wondered, are we in the tribulation period now? Um, And uh, so let me just give you a couple of thoughts with this. One, um, the Bible doesn't really talk about any signs before the rapture. It doesn't tell about what it's going to look like. There is some reference to that people's hearts will grow cold, which I think was definitely uh, happening across the world, that people's hearts were growing cold towards God and towards the things of God. Average church attendance had dropped below uh, twice a month, uh, actually, here just not too long ago. So we definitely see that people were not active in church, were not part of fellowship, um, you know, bodies of believers, and they weren't watching online either. So, um, But the rapture really has no signs like that plagues or calamities or difficulties or wars or rumor, those things are more talking about the second coming of Christ. The rapture is going to, is really is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. And the thing is with the rapture, if you're not ready, you're not going. So that's it. I mean, you say, well, God will be merciful to me. Well, look, if you knew about God, you knew you were supposed to believe in God and you knew that you needed to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you pushed that off and just went, well, you know, someday I'll do that. And that horn sounds, by the time you hear the, by the time the horn goes off, the believers will be gone from the earth. You think this has been catastrophic. I want you to think about when the church is taken up out of the earth, what this world is going to look like. You talk about catastrophe. 
I mean, it'll be absolutely, it'll be absolutely devastating to the economy and to the world. That's why the Antichrist will have even uh, quicker access to everything because he'll be the one world leader that can get everybody out of their problems. But the church will be gone. The church will be in heaven at that point. We'll be with the Lord forever, praising him. But, but I will say this, future events cast their shadow before them. So these things are signs of what is to come in the future. So just so you know, these are just the shadows of things, what's happening. COVID-19 is just the shadow of what it's going to be like during the seven years of tribulation, I promise you. So look, I'm just going to challenge you today. If you're not a follower of Christ, you need to drop to your knees right where you are right now and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I repent of my sin. I'm going to make it as, as simple as I can for you. You need to call out to God and ask for help. You say, well, preacher, you're being awfully bold. Well, here's the thing. I love you. God loves you. And he doesn't want you to miss anything that he has for your life. And the only way you're ever going to get into that is, is that you're going to have to turn to God. You're going to have to call out to him. And uh, people are sharing this all across their timelines. And and uh, as, you're, as they're sharing that, you might have just accidentally clicked in. And I know how God works. You clicked in just at the right time when I said, fall to your knees and ask Jesus into your life. We'll do it. Because listen, here's what's, here's, the, here's what's happening. We are seeing how quickly things can turn in the world. I shared this last week, and it got a little bit quiet online with this. But, uh, you know, we have online pastors that are watching so that they can be there to encourage you. But it said, like, it just went completely quiet. But, you know, when we realize how quickly that uh, d- decisions can be made that affect everybody's lives in the, in the United States and in the world, how quickly everything can come to a grinding halt, how quickly that fear can rule the land. When we realize that, when we understand that, we understand how quickly that the Antichrist could actually take over in the world. Now, the only thing that's stopping that from happening right now is the church is still here. And as long as the church is here, we're going to be praying against all those things that are evil and wicked in the land, and they will not be able to take over because, look, we're the body of Christ. We have authority on the earth. Can I get a good amen? So we're going to keep taking authority over these works of darkness and wickedness, and we're going to pray godly leaders into positions, righteous leaders into positions of authority over us. I mean, as long as that's how, as long as the church is here, then the Antichrist cannot take over. But the spirit of the Antichrist can keep trying to wheedle its way and cast shadows into society. And so just so you recognize this, when the church is gone, what you are experiencing right now, I'm not trying to make you afraid, I'm trying to give you an answer. What, when we're gone, when the church is taken out of the earth, things are going to become so devastated in the earth that you're going to wish you'd listen to this preacher on this day in the month of April in 2020. So I encourage you, friend, look, wherever your life is today, turn to God. Turn to Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Don't wait until it's too late. Okay? Don't wait until it's too late. So Peter's writing to all these people, and he's talking to them, and he's telling them, look, guys, these are difficult times. I mean, you know, you and I, we think we're living in difficult times right now. There are a lot of people thought that Nero was the Antichrist. I mean, Nero was killing Christians. They were burning them on stakes. They were, they were pushed down underground into catacombs to, um, you know, to, to worship God. Really, the Internet has become the catacomb of our century because it's the place where we can gather. At least we're, we're able to still gather with people and be able to worship and to, 
and to practice our freedom of expression of worship in our homes together, at least in some similitude, as the body of Christ. But these guys were forced down underground into the sewers to worship. They were forced out of society. They, if they were found out they were Christians, Nero was killing them. And, of course, you know the story how he burned Rome, and then he blamed the Christians that it happened, said that they set it on fire. Well, Peter's dealing with all of this. He's dealing with this, this great, he's talking about being in Babylon, which is, of course, a reference to Rome at the time. And... Uh, all of this difficulty that's going on. And he begins to write to them a word of encouragement. So I, I wanted to frame that for you to understand how difficult this is. The Apostle Paul has just passed away, is gone. People are fearful all throughout the world. The Christian believers don't know what's going on. They don't know if this is the end. And so now we come to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope. And if you write in your Bible, I want you to underline that word living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our living hope as believers is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I want you to notice here that when Peter is dealing with them, and there's a real powerful reason behind this, what he's dealing with here is, is that, one, I want you to set your perspective not on this life you're living right now, but on your life to come. I want you to think about the inheritance that's out there for you. I, I know that in life that Everything about life makes us want to think about the temporary circumstances that we're in. But what Paul, what Peter is trying to say here is by the Holy Spirit to these believers who are struggling. He says, listen, our living hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that because of that resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you have an inheritance that is incorruptible. That nothing can get to that. You have an inheritance that is undefiled and it doesn't fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. Now watch this. Through faith for salvation, ready, ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's the thing that the believer has to do. The believer, the Christian believer, have their hope anchored in eternity, not in the temporary. And, and you say, well, pastor, we're going through this now. We're dealing with this struggle now. And here's the thing. You're right. It is tough. There are difficult things happening all around us. But our hope is not anchored in this world. Our hope is anchored in eternity that goes beyond this life. And as it's anchored in eternity, nothing can take that away. You know, I was sharing with the staff this last week, uh, um, some of you may be familiar with this name, a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl was a Jewish-Austrian psychoanalyst who was actually in Auschwitz in, during the, the Nazi prison camp. And he noted how different people responded to suffering. Now pay attention to this. In the death camps. And he wrote a book about it later called Man's Search for Meaning. And this is, now watch. He said that some of the prisoners responded to their hopeless situation by becoming brutal and cruel themselves, part bitterness and part a quest for power. I mean, we see that. We see that every week on Facebook. We see it 
out in life that people just started getting nasty and mean and and saying cruel things and cruel things about people and the bitterness. And look, that's all because of that fear that's happening right now. Okay? So he said in the camps, that was what we saw. We saw people that like just got bitter and fearful and they began to, you know, try to get some similitude of control in their life. He said, others just gave up. He wrote, usually this happened quite suddenly. The symptoms of which were familiar to us experienced camp inmates. Now, this is really powerful. We all feared for this moment in our friends. Usually it began one morning when the prisoners simply refused to get dressed or washed or go outside to the parade grounds for inspection. Now, see, here's the thing. See, that's an attitude that can develop. All of a sudden now, you're getting up in the morning. You're not, you're not getting out. You know, I saw somebody said, these are my daytime pajamas. These are my nighttime pajamas. Look. You want to get up every day and live your life, okay? You don't want to stay in your bathrobe all day. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to live your life. Get up, take a shower, get yourself ready for the day. Brush your teeth. Dear God, brush your teeth, okay? <laughs> take care of yourself. Fix your hair up. I'm talking about guys right now and women. Fix yourself up. Get yourself prepared for the day. Plan your meals. Plan stuff with the kids. Don't just lay around and... You know, watch repeats of repeats of repeats of other stuff. Plan the day, live. But see, he said, look, here's what would happen. They'd just stop getting dressed. They'd stop washing. They, they gave up. He said, look, what would happen to them? He said that no entreaties, no blows, they could be hit, no threats had any effect on them. They just lay there. They had given up. Nothing bothered them anymore because they had no hope. And it destroyed them. They died. These people all died because of that. Many, he said, held on to the hope that if they stayed alive, their health, their family, their professional achievements, their fortune and position in society would be restored to them. That was their hope, that everything, and see, that's what we're all saying, right? It's going to get better. We're going to get out of this. It's all going to become great. We'll get our money back. We'll get our lives back. We'll be able to do all this. Look, and that's true eventually. But see, they came out of those prisons thinking, I'm going home and everything's going to be all right. I'm going to go home and everything's going to open up. I'm going to go back to my business, back to my job, back to my livelihood. That was their hope. And he said after liberation, though, he said many of them went home and found that those things were irretrievably gone. And they went into deep depression and even committed suicide. Their hopes had been shattered. See, psychologists, you're already starting to hear this, that they're starting to, psychiatrists are starting to come out and say, look, what's going to happen is, is that they're, they're so fearful that 40%, they said an increase of 40% of suicides. Why is that? Because people expected life to get back to what it was, and it's not going to get back to what it was. It's not going to get back. You say, well, Pastor, I just know it's, my life's going to get back to what it was. There's a lot of things that are going to change. Okay, we're in a reset mode. Okay, we're all in a reset mode in our lives. And so we need to be thinking. You say, well, that just isn't giving me much hope. Hang on. All right, hang on now. Frankel said that the ones who truly overcame Auschwitz, these horrible, starving, destroying prison camps, were those who had a fixed reference point beyond this world. Those who had a fixed reference point. Where is your anchor today? Where are you set? Where are you fixed on? Those who had a fixed reference point beyond the world 
something they held on to that was out of the grasp of death and destruction. Frankel said, life in a concentration camp tears open a soul and exposes its depths and foundations. And listen, if anything, this has ripped open. I know this is not even near what they went through in Auschwitz, okay? I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to say. But what, because our lives have changed, because our lives have been interrupted for over a month now, that in our lives we're, we, we feel like we were losing our freedom. But what we have to realize, no matter what happens in life, whatever is going on around us, we cannot set our anchor in the politics. We cannot set our anchor in people. We cannot set our anchor in the medical profession. Hey, I'm grateful for all of them. But where we must put our anchor, in Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. My hope is in the Lord. My trust is in the Lord. My faith is in the Lord. No matter what happens to this life, no matter what happens to this body, no matter what happens to this economy, my hope is set beyond all of that into eternity. Hallelujah. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised, and its strength is in his faithfulness. Natural hope is nothing more than a wish based off the strength of a person's desire. But when we have real hope, biblical hope, it's set in the promises of God. It's set into the truths of what God has said. Paul, Peter said here to them, look, because of this, because you're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He said, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. He said, it's tough. But the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of faith, the salvation of your souls. The salvation of your souls. The trial of our faith, the difficulty of life. How do you and I endure? How are we able to get through these trials that we face in life, these challenges that are coming against us? Here's how you do it. Now watch this. You attach yourself to a truth that will take you somewhere you are not right now. You attach yourselves to truth that will take you where you are not right now. If you're fearful, attach yourselves to God's providence in your life to be with you no matter what. That he'll be with you when you call upon the name of the Lord. He'll be with you today. He'll be with you tomorrow. He'll be with you at the end of your life here. And you will be with him throughout all eternity. Set your hope. Put your faith in the truth. Put a, attach yourself to it. Cling to that truth. A truth that will take you somewhere that you are not right now. See, when we go through trial in life, and life it, itself is a trial all by itself, but these are even more trialsome days for people because we don't know. You know, what is it going to, what is life going to look like? Everybody talks about we might be going back, we might be able to have church on May 1st or, you know, because th 
Not everywhere is going to be doing that. Businesses could start slowly opening up again. Hey, that's all. I, I'm, I'm excited about all that. That's wonderful. But economically and the challenges and the things that are going on economically, listen, let's just, God's good and he's going to help us because we're honoring his word in our life. But here's the thing. It's going to be tough out there for some folks. It's going to be real difficult. A great opportunity for the church, uh, the people of God to rise up and love people and help people. We're going to have lots of opportunity to do that. And so it, it, it's going to be challenging. But here's the thing. When we go through trials, when, our, when we're going through these trials in our life, the difficulty, you know, the reports that we hear and, and the, 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 the challenges of death that we hear about and the challenges of infection and all the other things that are coming out during our day today, that those trials become tests in our lives when we hold on to the truth. They become real tests in our life. They become a test of our faith. The trial of our faith being much more precious than gold, which perishes, that, look, your faith is what will get you through because it's set in a hope that goes beyond this life. That's why the Bible says, neither height nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, things present nor things to come, shall separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing, nothing in this life can unless we let it. So I just want to talk to you real quick as we're wrapping up here this morning about some trials, some tests that I believe that we're in right now and that I want to just ask you a question. How are you dealing with these things? How are you handling, how are you handling difficulty in your life right now? How are you personally dealing with the difficulties? You know, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and he's telling them about the stuff he's going through. He says, look, we're getting beat up. We're getting chased out of town. We're going... You know, we're going nights without food, days without food. We've been shipwrecked. We've gone through all of this. But yet, in all of that, he never lost faith. In the midst of that, he held on to something greater than himself. How are you handling difficulty? Are you drinking alcohol to help you deal with the difficulty? Are you, are you smoking weed so you can deal with the difficulty? Are you taking a bath in CBD oil so you can handle the difficulty? Look, I realize that there's difficulty. But how? What are you doing? What are you doing to your life? What are you doing? Are you trying to, are you, are you spending money, right? You know, stimulus money's coming out. Are you going to put that money aside and really use it for what it's for? Are you thinking about going out and buying you a big old 70-inch colored television set like you need another television set? I mean, what are you thinking about? See, because a better, bigger TV ain't going to make you feel better, I promise you. And truthfully, I was alcoholic. Alcohol ain't going to make you feel better. For a little while, it will. A bigger TV might make you feel better for a while. So you can watch the repeats of sporting events that happened 10 years ago right now. But look, it, it ain't going to make anything better for you. Smoking weed isn't going to make you feel better. It's just going to make you hungry. Then you're going to have other problems, right? My point is, is that, look, how are you handling the adversity that's coming against you? How are you handling the difficulties? You know, you've, you've heard me tell this story before, but it's true. When they did Biodome 2, they really were excited because they built this big dome, you know, and, and it was this big protective bubble 
and in this big protective bubble, they planted trees and all kinds of stuff in there. I mean, plants, and I mean, it was beautiful, and it looked awesome. And because of the environment, and because this protective environment was, was just controlled water and controlled sunshine, in this biodome, those trees took off, man. They grew so fast. But the problem was that in this biodome that they began to find out that the trees, that they could not, that they became top, you know, a tree is top heavy. So this tree becomes top heavy with all of its fruit and its leaves on it, and they would fall over. And they were like, well, what in the world is going on? We can't figure out why these trees keep falling. And they, and I mean, not just one or two, it was all of them. They just collapsed. So they finally, as they began to study the trees that had fallen with trees that were able outside and outside conditions didn't fall, they were able to figure out that the thing that was keeping those trees outside the biodome strong was the wind. And the trees inside could not sustain the heaviness of their branches and their leaves because they had never experienced the wind. In fact, it was, uh, it, in fact, this was the conclusion they came to. When plants and trees grow in the wild, the wind constantly keeps them moving. This causes stress in the wooden load bearing structure of the tree. So to compensate, the tree manages to grow something called the reaction wood or stress wood. This stress wood usually has a different structure in terms of cellulose or lignin content and more and is able to position the tree where to get the best light or other optimum resources. This is the reason why trees are able to contort towards the best light and still survive loads loads in even awkward shapes. A contorted building like that would easily fall. The tree is able to grow in a more solid manner thanks to the reaction wood. See, that's that reaction wood is when you look at a tree and how it's turning itself. I have oaks out in front of my house. Those oaks are twisted and they're turning towards the sunlight. They, they're, they're, they're getting as much of that sun as they can, that reaction wood. They face the adversity that blows against them. There's a lot of wind on the farm, and not because I'm preaching on the farm. There's a lot of wind that's out there on that farm. And man, I'm telling you, and we get to like, man, is this wind ever going to die down? I'm starting to get used to it now. But, but here's the thing. When you're not used to the wind, the wind is an adversity to you. But what we have to recognize that in the midst of that wind, God is making the reaction wood inside of us strong. You know, that's why Paul said in the book of Corinthians, he said, listen, I'm going through some stuff right now. But when I am weak, then I am becoming strong. Because what's happening is what was causing stress to me has now made me stronger than I was before. It's like the great quote from the, the Rocky Balboa movie when he looked at his son and, and he said, son, it's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and get back up and keep fighting. Are you, how are you dealing with adversity today? How are you facing the wind? That's, are you griping about the wind? Ah, this stinking stay at home, this stinking everything. I hate everything. It's all bugging me. I, my money's not right. My life is not right. I can't you know, go to the movies. I can't watch new sporting events. I, look, what are you doing with the wind? Because you can complain about the wind, but the wind, my friend, is your friend because the wind is making you strong. Adversity, difficulty. There's no way in the weight room that I could become stronger unless I am making my body do something it doesn't want to do. My body don't want to do it. 
My body don't want to lift heavier weights. My body doesn't want to hurt. My body just wants life to be easy. But it's in that adversity, it's in the midst of that adversity that I'm becoming a stronger human being. I'm becoming a stronger man. Whatever we're facing in this life, we are anchored into the hope of eternity with Christ. That we know that, look, nothing can separate us from that. Nothing in this life. It might get difficult, but our hope is in the Lord. Even if our economy doesn't turn around overnight like some are predicting it could. Look, my hope is still in the Lord. The word still is true. I'm still applying the word to my life. I'm still believing God. Look, if he could provide food for a prophet out in the wilderness by having birds bring him you know, bread, then he can provide for you and I. And he will. He can make it so that things in our lives, they just don't run out because he's that kind of God. But we have to put our hope in that kind of God. We have to put our hope, anchor it into our eternity and not just into where we are right now. And you know, uh, I have other points here, but I'm going to stop. But, you know, one of the great stories that uh, really challenged me is the story about the redwood. You know, that tree that grows so tall. I had the opportunity as a young man to be able to go out. Um, I know Chuck had an opportunity to go out and see the redwoods. And they're massive. But when you look at the redwoods, you'll see a bunch of living redwoods, but then you'll see one that's completely dead. No life in it at all. And people have asked, why don't the dead redwoods fall? Because the root system of those other living redwoods have wrapped themselves around the roots of the dead redwoods. And they are literally keeping that redwood standing because of the root system that's underground. You and I don't see any of that, but that root system is causing that tree to be able to continue to stand even after it's long dead. Listen, friend, today I want to tell you something. You're a part of a network of people that's far greater than you by yourself. Though there are roots from the redwoods living. I'm a living redwood today, amen? We got some living redwoods here today. And our roots are running deep, but they're not just running deep to keep us up. They're running deep to keep you up. You say, well, I'm not dead. Well, good. All right, great. Stay that way, okay? Don't, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Get up. Do the things we talked. Take a shower. Get yourself ready for life. Amen. If you work a nine-to-five job, get up and get ready for work every day. Live your life. Don't sleep it away and watch TV it away, okay? Or hobby it away. But here's the thing. The redwoods run deep. So here's the way I want to end this service today. And I already put my challenge out. If you're not born again, you need to call on the name of the Lord today. I plead with you. I'm, I'm serious. I plead with you. If you're watching this, you just happen to tune in for just this part of what we're doing. Don't let this moment pass you by. Because there is a day it will be too late. It'll be too late. And the problem with the it's too late moment is you didn't see it coming when it happened. And so I encourage you today. You say, well, how do I do it, preacher? Well, you call. You say, Jesus, come into my life. I make you the Lord of my life. I surrender to you, Lord God. You're my God. I'm not in charge anymore, God. You're in charge. And look, if you do that today, 
I want you to text me the number to the, at that number. Let me know about it. Get me your name. We have the information. We will, we will start you on a journey of studying the Bible. It's real simple. We'll help you all the way. We'll walk with you through it all. But you've got to do the first step, and that is you make that your, you know, you make that your raising your hand or whatever, you know, or, or looking at me in church service. You do that right now. Text that number, and uh, you let us know. Or you can text me, Pastor Jolliffe, at a- or email me at pastorjolliffe at agchurch.net, uh, and I'll get it, and then I'll make sure that we get, we get you on that journey. But here's the second thing. Now, don't, don't tune out. I want every dad, every husband in their home right now, I want you to be the priest of your home, okay? So this is going to be awkward for some of you. But you, look, you're a man. Stand up like a man and let's deal with it, okay? What I want you to do right now is I want you to be the mighty living redwood in your home. Now, if you're a single mom watching this, then you're the mighty living redwood in your home right now, Okay? And if you're single and you're by yourself watching this, then you're the mighty redwood in your home. So I'm going to have you. But what I want you to do is, I, and I'm just going to only reference this to the, the men right now, but I want you in your home right now, I want you to create a prayer line of your kids and your wife right there in your home. And I want you to lay hands. Man, I feel the anointing on this. I want you to lay hands on every one of them, and I want you to pray life over them. I want you to. I want you to pray strength over them. I want you to pray. You be the priest of your home. See, revival is coming to your house right now. This is strategic today. I want you, as you say, well, I'm not a preacher. Well, then, look, it doesn't matter that you're not a preacher. You're a believer. And it says that believers will lay hands, not preachers will lay hands. I want you to put your hand on your wife. And I want you to speak a super a blessing over her. You say, well, I don't know what all I'll say. Just say, honey, I speak life over you. God, I ask you to bless my wife. I ask you to anoint. Come on, do it right now. Get them all up. Do it right. I know you watch, you know, and your kids are all looking at you right now in your home going, well, dad, your wife, I know your wife's looking at you going, well, are you going to do what the preacher said or not? Well, here's, here, look. Here's the thing. You say, well, pastor, I'm kind of ticked at you for telling me to do Good. Good. You can write me nasty notes about it, okay? That's fine. The text number's right there on the screen. You can text right to me. But I want you right now to be the priest of your home. And I want you to lay hands on your wife. And I want you to lay hands on every one of your kids. And you say, well, I got some of them. They aren't. You tell them to get in that living room right now, and you're going to lay hands on them. And you speak over them. And as you do that, I believe God will fill your mouth with the things to say. He'll fill your mouth with the things to say. And then when you're done, I want you to ask all of them. I want you to look at them and honestly and say, look, Dad, Daddy, or Honey, I need, I need you guys to pray for me now. Would you lay hands on me and begin to pray for me? I can just see little kids praying in the Holy Ghost over their dad right now, laying their hands on their dad and just... <clears throat> they wanted to do this. They want you to be the oh the the mighty redwood in your home, the this that keeps and sustains them and is not being shaken and moved by adversity that's all around them. I want you to do it right now. Before I before we can we have the worship team come? Could we do a song? Can we Scott? Could we do something? And uh, look, I want you to do it while we're on the air. So just do it right now. Just pretend like 
You're me in that house right now, and I want you to lay. Don't and say, well, let's just stay in our chair. No, get up. Come on, get up. You've been sitting long enough now. Get up out of your chair, face each other, and put your hands on your spouse right now, your wife or your husband, and I want and, and, and over those kids, and I want you to begin to pray over them. If prophecy comes on you, I want you to begin to prophesy over them. We're going to provide the music in the background. You just be the preacher in the in your house, the priest of your home right now. Hallelujah. I know it's awkward, guys. Look, the first time I prayed for my wife, I was and I was preaching already. It was awkward, man. I was like, oh my gosh, you know. They say the most hardest thing for a man to do is to pray for his wife in front of her. Do it. Do it today. Amen. I felt God's anointing so powerfully released in that moment for you guys. I mean, there's something happening. So, well, I'm, I'm a newer Christian. I don't know if I will say, doesn't matter. Doesn't, just, just do it and God will help you. Now, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I pray, go ahead and start praying for your family right now. Father, I pray for every man that's laying hands on his family, Lord. Laying hands on his wife right now. And I thank you, Lord God, like the anointing oil that flowed down in Psalm 133, that flowed down upon the head of Aaron, down his beard, and even to the hem of his garment, Lord, that was like the dew in Mount Hermon. Father, I thank you that that anointing right now is flowing down, Lord God, upon that man of God, as he lays hands on his wife and on his children. Father, I thank you for that woman who leads her home, Lord God. Maybe whose husband's out in the fields today and, and is not able to have him pray. Father, I Father, I believe right now you're using her as the priest in the home. And she lays hands on those children, Lord God. I thank you there's an anointing that's flowing down. Father, I thank you right now, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit flowing in those homes right now. I see people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, Lord God, as, as they're laying hands on one another. I see the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation in those homes, Lord, right now. I thank you, Father God, that there are men that are rising up, Lord God, and, feel, and sensing a new spiritual anointing on their lives, Lord God. Father, I pray for that single uh, man or woman that's watching, Lord God, that as they pray, Father, that, Lord, that anointing is reciprocating back on them like oil. Lord, you said that how precious it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, that it's like that oil. Lord, as we unify to your word, I thank you that that anointing is flowing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Go ahead.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, look, we're just getting this started. So if in your home, you keep praying. I mean, uh, keep praying for your family. However, if if your kids are falling out under the power and your wife's laying on the floor, and 
look, don't, don't push things along. Don't move on to the next thing. Just enjoy the presence of the Lord in your home right now. And uh, so I just encourage you with that. Also, would you please, would you let us know what happened today in your home? Would you tell us about it? Would you email us, text us? Would you put it on the timeline here? You know, if there's healings that manifested in your home, then I wanna, we want to hear about it. You're encouraging other people through your testimony. Your testimony, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, not the word of my testimony. It's our testimony now. Whatever's happening to you is for all of us. It's for all of us to share. And part of the victory of it is sharing that with others. And so do that, do that. Do that online right here. Other people will see it. It's whatever that is. I say the power of God hit our home, Pastor. I mean, it hit our, I saw some of you in the spirit. I mean, I saw it. God just give me that opportunity by word of knowledge to be able to see that the different things that were going on in homes. Powerful, weeping, anointing, glory. I want to hear about it. God bless you. You have an awesome.